You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, local, state, national, covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, on a semi-dreary but yet comfortable temperature Friday, welcome to it. And Boomer's on the board. Hey, man, how are you? I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm good and I'm happy it's Friday. Well, drop the bomb and hit the applause. Woo! Woo! We made Friday! it. Friday! <laughs> all right, we're there. We're there. Friday. Uh, congratulations to all of you who made it through another week heading into the weekend. Got a little time to yourselves, I hope. And uh, we got plenty of stuff on tap today uh, to give you thoughts on your way out the door. So uh, let's talk about today's show. So number one, uh, three o'clock. Uh, Paul Reynolds. Uh, I've known Paul for a number of years. A great guy. He and his wife, Joan, have been longtime members of the Alabama Republican Party. But Paul is actually one of our committeemen to the National Republican Party. conference and or a committee. And he, uh, he just put out a letter in the last couple of days describing in great detail why he believed it was necessary to push for a change in leadership at the RNC. So we're going to get Paul Reynolds on here at three o'clock just to get his firsthand perspective on how all that went down and where we headed next. Uh, three o'clock, Paul Reynolds. And then four o'clock, uh, one of our frequent flyers, Stephanie Smith, the new president of the Alabama Policy Institute. But Boomer, when do I stop saying the new president of the API? Do I just I don't know. Just go with it? Just Yeah, just go with it. Stephanie Smith, president of API. That's right. There you go. (laughs) She'll be here at 4 o'clock today talking about some issues related to education. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that one. That's 3 o'clock, Paul Reynolds, 4 o'clock, Stephanie Smith, and then I still got a triple dipper full of stuff, so hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper, three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, I didn't get to it yesterday, so it's first out the gate today. The insurrection inspection. Oh, yeah. We're finally going to get a look at some stuff. Uh, we're, we are under, under understanding that 41,000 hours of closed-circuit TV footage has been given over to um, Tucker Carlson and his staff to review, and they expect to start bringing things to the public eye next week. So number one of the Triple Dipper, we'll talk about it. What does it mean? The insurrection inspection. Number two, infighting. That's what I'm calling it, just infighting. It's amazing to watch, but sometimes it's healthy, sometimes it's not. What happens when the political parties or the delegations start fighting among themselves? Well, you know, that's part of the reason why I got Paul Reynolds coming on. We'll talk about his thoughts on that, but then it's not just Republicans, Democrats. Woo! I mean, wow. Infighting. We'll talk about it. Number two on the Triple Dipper. And then number three, woke in the classroom. Yeah, you can tell where this one's going. Woke in the classroom. It's a almost like a nationwide epidemic right now. Maybe we're just finally seeing it, or maybe they've become more brash and bold. I don't know. Either way, we're going to lay it out there and talk about it and have Stephanie Smith on to discuss some things about education. So yeah, number three on the Triple Dipper, woke in the classroom. Well, let me move over to my monologue here, my, my opening comments, which I'll be honest with you, today is a bit of a rant. Just going to go ahead and tell you that right up front. 
Um, but I remember watching not long ago when there was a discussion on TV on the Dr. Phil show. I had Matt Walsh from Daily Wire, and there were two transgender activists. Did y'all see this last year? And two transgender activists. And, and the question, you know, maybe to me, Phil, why would you ever watch that? I don't know, but I did. So anyway, it was a train wreck, man. It was horrible on multiple levels, but I, I, like I couldn't look away. So Matt Walsh asked those two activists the most fundamental question, how do you define a woman? And the first activist who, quote, identifies as non-binary transmasculine, whatever that is, said he had no idea. The other, the non-binary effeminate guy with the carefully groomed beard and the makeup, challenged Walsh to define it himself, which he did, in the same way that 99.99999% of the world does, the way that we always have in the biological, physiological sense, to which Walsh's opponent took issue in an attempt to blur the lines, like he already does, by questioning why somebody with no reproductive organs or other physiological female characteristics shouldn't also be considered a woman. It's just a, quote, umbrella term that each person can define differently. Well, Walsh calmly unhinged his disturbing attempt at rationale by saying no. He said, quote, you simply want to appropriate womanhood and turn it into a costume that you can wear. It was masterful. But the whole dialogue, it was also kind of sad in a pitiful sort of way. And it was a little bit creepy, to be honest. And at some point, I couldn't help but think, man, we are at the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. That's what it felt like, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. You remember the Mad Hatter, right? The really weird character from Alice in Wonderland. And I'll be honest, I have always hated that book. As a kid, it used to creep me out. It was like one of those bad dreams that makes no sense and leaves you feeling unsettled after you wake up. Well, the Mad Hatter himself presided over a never-ending tea party where he and others were trapped in limbo, asking each other unanswerable riddles and reciting nonsensical poetry. He was hard to be around. He was obnoxious. His inconceivable behavior eventually drove Alice away. Some theorize that the author, Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, developed his character off the well-known fact in the 19th century of the actual maker of hats, hatters, because they would go mad. It was known to go mad due to chronic exposure to mercury, which caused tremors and mood swings and even death. All said and done, my analogy that Matt Walsh's debate with the two transgender activists is right on point. It's an example that modern society has allowed the Mad Hatter to set up his tea party right here in the middle of our life as we know it. And I, for one, am not drinking the tea. So years ago, as part of my eclectic resume, I used to work in a treatment center for adolescents. Some of those kids came to us from a series of bad decisions. Some of them were helped to make those bad decisions along the way. Sometimes parents would come to the family sessions, and we would work on setting rules and boundaries for little Johnny. Oh, no, we would sometimes hear, we don't want to set rules and boundaries. It might drive him away. It might cause him to feel suppressed. Well, I got news. Some of those kids were in treatment because they were left to figure out life for themselves with no sense of right or wrong. You see, when nothing is black or white, then everything's gray. And when everything's gray, then you just get to find out your own truth, which rarely works out well in the end. You see, here's the deal. It's okay to still have absolutes. There is no wrong in saying that things are wrong. And there is still nothing right about calling wrong right. Oprah wants us all to find our own truth, but when that happens, truth is lost. I'll never forget when Margaret Thatcher was the Prime Minister of England. She had a way of triumphing with her words. At one press conference, she was confronted by a reporter on whatever topic it was at hand, and she was asked, but madam, isn't that just the same old story? To which she quickly replied, well, of course it's the same old story. The truth usually is the same old story. But you see, 
progressives want us to believe that if we choose to take the position that something is true, then we are denying someone else their own truth. This is a classic deflection. It's a circular argument. You cannot have your truth if it denies my truth. But the problem with that is that for something to stand as true, it cannot be controverted. It's either true or it's not. There's also this fallacy in modern woke culture that we must allow equal space within our own beliefs for other versions of truth. Sort of a laissez-faire approach, if you ask me. So you do you and I'll do me and we'll all just enjoy the tea party together. But the problem is that never works when one side demands of the other that truth should be considered relative. And if I don't share your truth, then I'm a threat. It reminds me of those bumper stickers that I see on some liberal cars on the road. Coexist, they say with each of the letters for the word coexist being a symbol from a different world religion? Well, I got news. We already coexist. What they really mean by the bumper sticker is you're a bigot if you don't give equal authority in your mind to other faiths. Well, let me be clear. I'm aware that people want desperately for their versions of truth to be given some measure of credibility, even when they outwardly appear to defy logic and reason and science. But it is not my place to condemn, and I don't, but there is also a vast difference between not condemning and being told to condone. A vast, vast difference. So here in the presence of God and witnesses, I feel free to say to you that the definition of a woman is one who's born with the physiological and biological and chromosomal makeup of, you guessed it, a female. Likewise, the converse would be true for a man. While we're at it, I'll go ahead and rock the boat a little further and state that unequivocally life begins at the moment of conception. And within eight days, that little bitty mass of fetal tissue is circulating blood. And soon after that, you can detect a heartbeat. And yes, there is strong evidence of response to stimuli, even while still in the womb. All right, let me keep this truth train rolling. I believe that when you spend more than you've got, it doesn't make the economy better. At some point, credit has to be repaid and dollars cannot keep getting printed. We will pay the piper without change. I'm also of the mind that parents should have the right to choose what's best for their child's education. For that matter, it should require parental consent for medical treatment of a minor child to include a vaccination. And then there's the kicker that evil should not be given more due than good and that criminals should therefore be penalized in such a way that they are deterred from continuing crime. That police should be honored for their work and that victims should never be forced against their will to sit down with their perpetrators and feel re-victimized in the process. I'm saying all these things because those are the things that we are demanded on a daily basis to give way to. We are told constantly, hey, you do you, I'll do me, but you've got to also believe what I do. No, I don't. Actually, I don't at all. Progressives want so badly for there to be no absolutes. Just a life in the gray space of progressive so-called truth. Which in reality, I'll be honest, is a little bit more like being stuck with Alice and the March Hare at the Mad Hatter's Perpetual Tea Party. And I, for one, refuse to drink that tea. And that's a wrap for the right side way. Well, there you have it. I told you it was a rant. Covered down on some ground with that one. But the reality is, is this. We do coexist. They are welcome to try and have their opinions, but you cannot condemn me because I don't condone you. Period. If you believe that you have a new version of truth, I would question whether it's truly truth or not, because truth is not typically malleable. You don't get to change it. Truth is just truth. And oh, by the way, we all know what a woman really is. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
And we are back, Phil Williams, right side radio, solid conservative, just plain right on a Friday afternoon. Uh, just saw a moment ago that uh, uh, Congressman Gary Palmer just reposted uh, the interview that we did with him yesterday here on Right Side. If you missed it and want to catch it again, um, well, any of our stuff for that matter, you can go to our podcast. Uh, podcasts can be found on any of our podcasting mediums out there. Uh, what do we got? Apple, Podbean, name them, Boomer. Um, Apple, Podbean, iHeart, I uh, iHeart, uh, Spotify, Spotify. You can go even to our uh, Facebook page or website. Any of those. Okay. I mean, any podcast platform you can think of, it's there. To search out Right Side Radio. That's right. We are, by the way, kicking. The podcast is just downloading like madness. Uh, but yeah, if you ever if you ever hear a segment of the show or miss a segment of the show and you want to catch it again, you can always go find it after the fact and listen to it. Or if you want to send it to a friend or post it like Congressman Palmer did, which we appreciate that, um, then, then certainly. Uh, send that thing out, and uh, and 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 it, you can you can send it by email or text, just like we do all the time. In fact, I sent it to them, his his staff, last night by text. They posted it on Facebook, so it's just it's malleable. You can do things with it. And now yeah. it's on ours. And now it's on ours. All right, <laughs> just like that. Just like that. Thank you, Boomer. <laughs> um, by the way, all our stuff. If you're wondering how to find us, I would start with our website, RightSideRadio.org. RightSideRadio.org. Don't do the .com. Do the .org. Um, all of our stuff's on there. The photo gallery, our recommended reading list, uh, podcasting, a live stream where you can see what we're doing in the studio while we're talking on the air. All this stuff is out there at rightsideradio.org to include a link to the Right Side store so you can get T-shirts, coffee mugs, even Right Side socks because, you know, everybody needs Right Side socks. I just yeah. personally, I, I find them to be rather attractive. They're, it was the big O star. I uh, mean, how can it not be attractive? It's, they're rather sexy, actually. If socks <laughs> could be sexy, these are sexy socks. So, uh, yeah, check them out. Right Side Store, all that stuff, rightsideradio.org. Um, I know for a fact that Boomer's got sports on the mind for the weekend. I do have sports on the mind <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> I mean, you were talking about you got, you got baseball game, gymnastics, you yeah. got all the stuff laid and out And then basketball weekend, right? game, his uh, PAX's last basketball game. Is on Sunday, so it's like I'm I'm all full for this weekend. And the lovely McQueen is uh she's got an, she, now so first of all the lovely McQueen uh was a gymnast at Alabama. Correct. Yeah, and so she's uh she's she's got a, a gig this weekend for alumni of the alumni uh, for gymnastics. Yeah, yeah so this it's gonna be cool. a big weekend. That is a school. Yeah, it's that gonna be fun. Cool. Uh, that's good. That's good. And we get to play in the gym for a little bit. Throw out some skills. Oh, little man going to or what? Oh, little man will definitely be there. <laughs> he'll, he'll act like he owns the place. Oh, he, he does own the place. His mom used to be here. Owns the place. Oh, man. Oh, that's good. That is so good. Um, all right. Hey, listen, insurrection inspection is going to be the first part of the Triple Dipper. Let me let me just tell you, I, I find this to be fascinating, like in a sort of weird, like geeky, almost kind of way, fascinating. So first of all, has has it blown over yet? I mean, is it is it is it is it are we so far removed from that whole January sixth debacle that we don't care anymore? I don't think so. Nope, I don't think so. What's happened is this: the January sixth, you know, commission, um, the basically the kangaroo court, the one that was convened, that uh, already knew what it was going to find before it found it, uh, the one that already had the verdict, you know, predetermined. And, and let me just say this, as an attorney, if I were striking a jury and, and I, was, I was looking for a reason to question the jury, every reason you could possibly want was on this panel, all right? 
Not that they're a jury. They kind of had a little bit of a grand jury feel to them because they had investigative powers and they referred out to the attorney general's office. But all that to say, you talk about bias, you talk about the ability to challenge their, their competence and their capability and their uh, uh, ability to be you know impartial because they weren't. And, and what we're finding now is that not only did they come up with their conclusions, which were very slanted and, and so easily predictable, but we're also finding that mm, there's 41,000 hours of video that ain't nobody's had a chance to look at. Well, well, well. And so Kevin McCarthy, new speaker of the House, he came in. If you're not tracking this, you need to be tracking it now because he came into office as a speaker having made a commitment that he felt like transparency was necessary and that he would do what he could to release everything that the January 6th commissioned and had a chance to review, well, he's done it. And it's been confirmed. 41,000 hours of closed-circuit TV footage has been released to Tucker Carlson and his uh, staff. And so I assume they're combing through it. But yeah, so 41,000 hours, a lot of it's going to be boring. A lot of it's going to be stuff like, ah, people walking around. Ah, people taking selfies. Ah, what is that for? I don't know. That's a deal. It's a repeat. But you know what there's going to be? There's going to be stuff in there that we're going to look at and go, oh, look, they didn't tell us about that one. Oh, look, you can see who it was that put up the, uh, the noose out front, which was, you know, like they were really going to bring Nancy Pelosi out and hang her from a gallows. Um, oh, look, you mean they didn't break down the doors? There were several of the doors where the security detail just opened the door and let them in? Oh, why would that be? Oh, look, those guys that we thought were feds, you could see them fomenting the crowd. Oh, look, nobody's walking around toting M16s and, you know, trying to blast holes in walls. Oh, look, the only person who got shot was Ashley Babbitt, and she was unarmed at the time. I think we're going to see some of this stuff. I think we're finally going to see it. 41,000 hours. You know what? Even if they don't find things that conservatives believe are there, even if it all matches the January 6th commission's outline and report, I don't care. Transparency is necessary in this one. Absolutely necessary. All right, we'll talk about it more when we get back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. All you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Hey. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. I'm talking about we covered down some major ground across the beautiful state of Alabama from way down south of Birmingham to up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Boomer, you're still working on some uh, new bumps too, aren't you? Oh, I got like uh, we got like twenty in the pipeline to to be approved. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have? Some, I mean, I mean that was some Van Halen right there, and, and that's 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 part of my favorite stuff. So is right. Van, is, you got any Van Halen in the new batch? We got gonna... some. Um, let's see here. We got some uh, Credence uh, Clearwater oh, yeah. Revival. Oh uh-huh. yeah, Led, Zepp- CCR. Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin, Almond Brothers. Come on. Uh, some Eagles, Foreigner, George. Thorogood? George Thorogood, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't say his last name. Jim, Jimi Hendrix. Some, uh, yeah. Some okay. Brown. Yeah, we got some some good ones. Hopefully right. we'll get approved. Okay. <laughs> Who's the approving authority? Uh, you are, sir. That's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, listen, the text lines are open. 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. Uh, text on in if you want to. What I want to also hear, too, is what do you think they're going to find on the 41,000 hours of closed-circuit TV, all right? What do you think they're going to find? Um, in, in fact, I, I hesitate to say it, but I, I almost want to say wrong answers only. <laughs> Ain't no telling what we're going we're, we're gonna to finally know, you know, where Jimmy Hoffa's buried. No, no, I don't think we're going to find that on there. But, yeah, 41,000 hours of footage, what are we going to find on this footage? Text it in, 833-687-4448. I did just get a text from uh, uh, Jason from Jasper. Uh, Jason from Jasper says, did I hear 41,000 hours? Wow. He says, if my calculations are correct, it would take over four and a half years to watch it. <laughs> That's, wow. He said, I would just need a recliner, a cup of coffee, and some maple bacon donuts. <laughs> uh, maple bacon donuts. By the way, it's the official food of Right Side Radio. I think I need to find a way to get some for the weekend. Um, all right, so... Text it in, 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. What do you think they're going to find on 41,000 hours of footage from the January 6th uh, events? So, by the way, you notice I don't call them an insurrection. When I do, it's tongue-in-cheek. This whole section of the Triple Dipper is called the insurrection inspection. But but the truth be told, uh, insurrection is a legal term. Insurrection is defined, I believe, in the U.S. Code. This was not an insurrection. Was it bad? Yep. Was it a riot? Mm, possibly. Uh, was it a trespass? In some ways. It's the public house. How could it be a trespass? Well, when you break down a door and you defy um, you know, security, then that can consider be a trespass. So there's aspects of it that were absolutely wrong. Was it an insurrection? Not in the true sense. NPR, Phil, did you go to NPR? Yes, I did. NPR had a piece that came out right before Christmas. It says, after 18 months of investigations, the January 6th report is out. Here are the top lines. Well, you can imagine. It points out that after roughly 18 months of investigations, the House Committee investigating the deadly January 6th 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol has released their full report. The document, which is more than 800 pages long, recommends the Justice Department pursue criminal charges against President Donald Trump for his role in the attack. And they say that Congress should act to bar Trump and others involved from ever holding office again. Now, I think we get down to the crux of why this whole commission. By the way, 
I do not fault an investigation into the uh, things that happened on January 6th and finding out what could be done better to um, provide security, what could be done better to um, uh, make sure the physical premises are accessible to the public while also keeping the people who serve us in public office secure. I don't fault anybody in public office from wanting to be secure. But the reality is this thing has been portrayed as something far more than it was. Was it bad? Yes. Was it scary for some? Probably. Did somebody die? Yeah. And by the way, it wasn't a bunch of security guards. It was one unarmed protester. But the article here from NPR goes on to say, in addition to the criminal referrals, the committee laid out 11 recommendations aimed at better protecting the American democratic system from future attacks. Those recommendations include clarifying that the role of the vice president in the transition to power is purely ceremonial and a new federal law um, with emphasis on anti-government extremist groups. Uh, in my opinion, what happened here was the January 6th commission got a little full of themselves and they went kind of far afield. Uh, they were not about just what happened that day? How can we make sure it doesn't happen again? What kind of security should the Speaker of the House actually have in place? If somebody says, we'll offer you the National Guard, should she take it maybe, perhaps, next time? But all that to say they got kind of far afield. We should make sure that certain people aren't allowed to run for office. We should make sure the vice president's role is seen this way. We should make – anyway. The report is broken down into eight sections. The former president's – they call them – this is NPR, by the way. The former president's election lies and declarations of victory – Trump's efforts to find additional votes, his pressure campaigns targeting federal and state officials. You see, how much of this was January 6th? Not a lot. And then, in fact, the article even says, and the events of January 6th itself. <laughs> so it wasn't all about January 6th. What it was all about was Trump. It was overly broad. Uh, I just did some uh, discovery work this morning for a lawsuit, and I uh, had to make an objection on one of them. Overly broad, unduly burdensome, ambiguous, and not likely to lead to, not calculated to lead to discoverable evidence. Well, this is what we have with the January 6th commission. Overly broad, unduly burdensome. They go on to say that President Trump had summoned a mob. This is actually a quote from the report. President Trump summoned a mob, including armed extremists. Who was armed? Who, who was armed in the, in the Capitol building that day? Who, who was armed? Hmm. Armed extremists and conspiracy theorists. On the same day the joint session of Congress was to meet, he then told the same mob to march on the Capitol and fight. They clearly got the message. I will point out again, the only person shot was one unarmed individual who was a protester herself named Ashley Babbitt, for which no one was held accountable. In fact, if I'm not mistaken... When we finally learned who the security guard was or the Capitol policeman was, I believe he received an award. Because, you know, shooting an unarmed female in the hallway from about point-blank range, well, that, that requires some heroism. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm stepping out there today, Boomer. I'm all in, bro. I just You are. Both feet. <laughs> I got it all over my shoes it's, right now. It's all over. It's all over my shoes. <laughs> all right, so... What we've been what we've been told now is that you know okay the January sixth commission is through and oh by the way there's been a leadership change in the house we would have never seen this raw footage we would have never gotten transparency if Nancy Pelosi was still in charge we may have a slim majority but by God we got a majority we may have a a very narrow window of opportunity but by God we got it so Daily Wire 
two days ago, has a piece called titled Kevin McCarthy Breaks His Silence on Giving the January 6th Tapes to Tucker Carlson. And he, he basically explains it. And he, and he starts off by saying, because I promised. He said, I was asked in the press about these tapes, and I said they do belong to the American public. I think Sunshine lets everybody make their own judgments. So the speaker, the new speaker, Kevin McCarthy, said last month he was looking to release the tapes because of the politicalization, he said, that he believed had been fostered by Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee, which had focused so heavily on Donald Trump and its investigation. But McCarthy did not divulge how he was planning to release the tapes until now. So McCarthy has shared with Carlson 41,000 hours of surveillance footage from January 6th. Um, hours later, Tucker Carlson said on his show that his team had been granted what they believe to be unfettered access, and they plan to start sharing what they have found next week. I guarantee you they're going to have to just, it's going to be on fast forward. They're going to have a crew of people. They're going to be watching for certain things. They're going to be keying in on certain areas. And they're going to have to pull together montages of things. But what's going to happen and what Tucker Carlson has proven to be very adept at is putting together the storyline, weaving together the overall. And, and so I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm like, I'm like almost geeking out over it. Um, this is what I do for a living, right? I get on here and I, just, and I, and I talk and opine for three hours a day. This is, this, is, this is chicken soup for my soul right here. The idea that we're going to finally get to see, and, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. I do not care. Well, I do, but you know what I mean? I do not care if the review of 41,000 hours of tape winds up proving the January 6th commission was right. At least we'll know. Put the whole thing to rest. Stop wondering. Well, liberals are having a fit. <laughs> Democrats are having a duck over this, like, like not a little bit. So in a letter to House Democrats, according to the Daily Wire, new minority leader Hakeem Jeffries said his team is working to confirm the precise nature of the video transfer. Precise nature? How about a handful of thumb drives? Who cares? The precise nature of the video transfer, which he calls a reported breach. <laughs> stating that there is no indication that McCarthy and Carlson followed the same protocols adopted by the... What protocols? Here, plug it in, push play. Tell me what you see. That's what we want. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer followed up with a letter to his own colleagues on Wednesday saying McCarthy is making available a, quote, treasure trove of closely held information about how the Capitol complex is protected. No, he's not. You know what? If you walk in the Capitol, you can look up in the corner on the wall, and you can see a camera there, and you realize, hey, somebody's probably watching. That's what they're going to see. Yeah, but we might not, we, you know, we'll know how many guards are in certain, no, you won't. No, you won't, because they rotate the guards, because they have security protocols that adapt and morph, and they beef them up for certain times and winnow them down for others. No, you won't. The, the hallways are fixed. Everybody knows the layout of the building. I saw one report that said they might even show the location of safe rooms. Well, really? So your, your contention is that, oh, we're going to know where the door is. That's, that's ludicrous. What we really have here is people that don't want the truth to come out. I got a little more on this. We're going to come back with the actual freakout that's occurring in the punditry world. Uh, so, yeah, the ladies from The View, they're, they're having a little trouble. Have a little trouble getting over this. This does not sit well. <laughs> you can only imagine. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. You guys stay tuned. We will be right back. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Um, I am, uh, by the way, I am, I am chagrined. I was thinking nobody was, uh, nobody was texting in, and then I realized what happened was my computer was not refreshing. And so literally maybe several dozen of y'all texted in about what you think might be on the 41,000 hours of video. So I'll be getting to that in just a minute. I will tell you, too, uh, I got another article here from NPR. Phil, you went to NPR twice. Yes, I did. This one says Democrats are warning against the release of the January 6th tapes to a Fox News host. So the Democrats sounding the alarm that a Fox News host access to thousands of hours of security tapes could endanger the Capitol and trigger a new wave of disinformation. Whatever. Early on Wednesday afternoon, it says House Democrats met virtually for a brief, virtually, because they still can't get together, apparently. That's all Zoom for them. Anyway, led in part by Mississippi Representative Benny Thompson, the former chair of the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. He said, I'm not comfortable with the knowledge that I have right now that the security interests of the Capitol, the people who work there, and the people who visit is protected. There are some items that should not be made available to the public. Mm. Spoken like a true big government Democrat. And so basically they are taking issue even to the extent that the, the, the liberal hosts of The View, wow, they got angry. They are uptight. They are mad. Complaints about the fact that Carlson, who works for Fox News, <laughs> worries that anyone releasing the footage could give potential terrorists access to security about the Capitol. Just, you know what they're worried about? They're worried their narrative that they spent a year and a half to two years shaping. They're worried that it's going to wind up dismantling right in front of their very eyes. Hey, I got a call on the line. Let me jump over to it real quick. Jeff from Indiana. How are you doing, brother? Doing good, Phil. Good, man. What's up? Hey, uh, yeah, if 41,000 hours, is that in a 24-hour period? Apparently, there's a lot of cameras. I, I, yeah, if you break it down, my gosh, <laughs> that's a lot of cameras. And I wonder how many of those are audio-video. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know what? If they've got if they got audio on every one of them, good Lord. I mean, you, you're going to have to have a mainframe the size of a basketball gym to hold all the video. All the video. Yeah, and and I would like to see some uh, more footage if there if there is, you know, people talk in the hallways and everything and stuff, and that's that's not protected space. You know, it's a public place, so uh, there should be nothing sacred about what you say in the halls of the of the Congress or halls of the uh, Capitol. No, there there shouldn't. So, I, I granted, I mean, there's going to be like the skiff, the secure room where classified intel is looked at, and you know, and then there's going to be executive privilege where they have you know conversations that are you know, negotiations about things that are still developed. I get it. But then at the same time, most of what we're going to see is stuff that we should be allowed to see without any difficulty. Yeah. I, I would want, if there is audio video, I would want to see tapes from before that day to see, you know, because they knew all this stuff was happening and coming and they sure didn't act, you know, it, it sure seems like almost a setup, you know, and uh, if, if you was wanting to, uh, to, to have something like this happen, uh, you, you, they created the perfect storm. Well, yeah, and there's been the occasional uh, personal footage that got out where, you know, you can see somebody being ushered in the door by a security guard. You're like, wait a minute. I thought it was all violent. Why did that guy open the door and say, come on in? So I, I, I can't wait yeah, to see how it all pans out, man. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, if this wasn't a gover government entity, uh, I'm sure somebody would be suing the pants off these people for – 
you know, <laughs> yeah. for basically staging this. I mean, I think the whole thing was staged more or less is because you have infiltrators that uh, in the crowd that go, you know, it, it's it's intimidation, I guess, or uh, what they call it, uh, manipulation, inciting a riot. Yeah, I, I think I think what we're going to find is that there there may well have been. And by the way, I don't I don't think it was all staged. I think there was a lot of. I mean, there was a whole ton of people that came there and they were mad and they and they shouldn't have taken out their anger on our, our, you know, our, our facilities and our people, period. But there were a bunch of people that were mad, but then were they, were they egged on? And were there things that could have been done to help prevent it? And then, you know, was there manipulation of the crowd? That's, that's the thing to find out. Hey, Jeff, good talking to you, man. You be safe on the road, all right? Have a great weekend. Have a good, Phil. All right, buddy. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me just run down some, some text. But by the way, I got somebody here, uh, Retired Air Force Master Sergeant uh, Lance just texted in. Says, you're on fire today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that and uh, appreciate your service. Um, Rita from Scottsboro says, on the security tapes, we're finally going to find out what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> yes. Uh, John from Huntsville says, uh, keep an eye on me, Boomer. He says, once you've entered the dark side, a.k.a. NPR, you're scarred for life. <laughs> I've been going. I've been getting resources from scary places. Brian from Huntsville just texted in and said, um, wasn't Lieutenant Byrd the one who killed Ashley Babbitt the same one that left his firearm in a White House bathroom? Yes, I believe he was. He says that man should be banned from firearms. Um, there you go. Uh, ben from Decatur, January 6th video. Get your popcorn and beverages ready. Can't wait. TL from Huntsville says the report says the Democrats are worried about our democracy. The Democrats seem to conveniently forget that under Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, we are a republic. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the lesson there, TL from Huntsville. Doman from Harvest. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna find Nancy and Stenny sitting in the back wearing Trump masks. <laughs> uh, Michael from Silicaga says, given the video to one single media outlet is not releasing it to the public, McCarthy has not kept his promise. We don't need to pretend that he did. Okay, here's what. I, okay, Michael, calm down. Here's my prediction. I said this to Charlene last night. Uh, I would bet that what's going to wind up happening is it's a, it's a, it would cost a lot for this to be done by the government, and I would not trust them to do it as well. I suspect that's what's going to happen is that Tucker Carlson is going to be given access to it, but he's probably also going to put up a landing page and, and eventually get it all posted where you can go comb through it on your own. That's what I bet's going to wind up happening, and I bet Fox will pay for it and not have to be a taxpayer dime to do it. Um, and then we got uh, Jeff from Athens saying he's very partial to bump music from Alabama's own Brother Kane. All right. Appreciate that. A lot more texts that I didn't see until just a moment ago, so we'll get to them. Um, wow. Coming up next, Paul Reynolds, Alabama's Republican National Committee man, on why he felt like we needed a change in our national Republican Party. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right
You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, I'm moving to number two of today's Triple Dipper. So as I'm as I'm going into this section of the show, uh, the whole thing, I, I, I call this section infighting. And by the way, infighting ain't always bad. Sometimes it's healthy. Sometimes you're getting things out in the open. Sometimes you're dealing with issues or controversy. You're not letting it stew up. And sometimes, though, it's unhealthy. And I think we've seen in the Alabama Democrat Party uh, how unhealthy their infighting can be to the extent that they are almost a non-issue right now in statewide politics. But I'm bringing somebody on that I wanted to uh, give us some perspective uh, somebody I consider a friend, Paul Reynolds. Uh, he's been he and his wife Joan have been involved in Alabama Republican politics now for many years, and he is actually uh, one of Alabama's uh, national committeemen to the RNC, to the National Republican Party. Um, and he wrote a piece the other day, and I got an email copy of it um, about why he believed it was necessary to try and seek a change in leadership at the RNC. And I thought, you know what? What a perfect segue into this segment that I'm going to do today. So without further ado, let me bring him on. Uh, Paul Reynolds, how are you today, sir? Hello, Phil. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you uh, making some time for us. Um, listen, i got to ask you, uh, you know, I watched with some fascination. I, I shared the sentiment that I felt like we needed a change in leadership uh, at the RNC. Um, and apparently you agreed with that, and you even had a survey done about it. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I do. I'd be glad to. Um, When it came time to start considering what we were going to do about the next two years, see the term for the uh, national chairs, two years at the time, uh, and um, when it came time to be considering, uh, we had been told previously that she would not be seeking another term. So we said, okay, well, that's good. Who who are we looking for? Then we find that uh, not only is she seeking another term, uh, there's um, approaching, uh, let's see, I think it was 107 out of 168 members of the RNC that had signed on with her. And um, so the bottom line was we had to make sure that we were not making a mistake by continuing to look for somebody else because there had been some incidents that had happened that for various reasons we had said no. You know, the RNC can't continue to go along this way. Uh, we fight first uh, to try to suppress uh, intrusion into our bailiwick uh, from something called wokeness. Yeah. Uh, and it's every time you turn around, there's a new angle that the woke effort is trying to pull on you. And it's not just coming from the Democrats. It comes uh, also from people that propose to make modifications to the Republican Party to allow it. So we started looking for who we wanted to support, but uh, also... 
we needed to know what the support was in the background. In other words, how, for me, how did the people in Alabama look at uh, the position they wanted to take on this? And other states started getting a feedback, too. We do an awful lot of work with the southern states, uh, Arkansas in particular, uh, Tennessee uh, a lot, uh, with um, uh, one of the members of the Florida delegation, and then all of the ones in the Louisiana delegation. Uh, and um, so we were just talking among ourselves, and we came up. The guy that was interested in it, we were looking to, was Lee Zeldin, from New York State. Right. You have to do some vetting there because uh, even though he's a Republican, he is from New York State. So <laughs> wait a minute, let's take a look at what we're getting. Uh, and so we did We did some homework, and Lee was interested in it, and he said, came back to us finally and said, no, you know, I can't do it because I'll tell you, uh, there's too much home cooking. He said, this thing is already decided. Uh, they're not going to be able to uh, get get past this wow. wall. I think what you need to do is to work through the locals and check and see if you've got some traction there. Well, you know, I thought I knew what Alabama uh, believed, and I thought I was always in touch uh, with the members of the State Republican Executive Committee, 500 people now. I make up that committee. I think it's up to 505. Um, and so I said, you know, I need to find out exactly what is happening. So I commissioned a survey monkey among the members of the state executive committee. And uh, right before the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, we got ready to go. And then on the first week of December or so, we kicked it open. And we're going to leave it open about 10 to uh, 14 days for people to take their time and vote on it, and then we would compile it. But we got into it, uh, I think, uh, right about days, uh, six or eight days, uh, and the guy that was doing the uh, survey for me, Chris Brown, uh, who is an expert in doing those type functions, said, hey, we've been hacked. Been hacked. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, the survey has, it's not exactly a hack, but it is, a, it was infiltrated, um, and it wasn't that hard to do because uh, the invitation that I gave to the 500 members, I put a link on the invitation. All you had to do was click on it, and you could get access to the survey. Uh, and then apparently... Somewhere in the ones that I sent out, it was uh, emailed to another state, and people began to distribute it then, and we oh, wow. discovered that people in other states were voting in it. But we had enough to get a good representative sample of the uh, people. It was approaching 150, 147, I believe, 100, some, somewhere in that area had voted, uh, and so we compiled the numbers we had, and they came back so skewed one way, uh, and I don't want to let maybe a better word than skewed. They were running, and it was an accurate survey. They were running so strongly 
toward uh, one particular thought that I held back from releasing the results because we well, had some functions uh, coming up. And, and Paul, if you the, don't mind, uh, if you don't mind me jumping in there real quick, uh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just say for the benefit of the audience. I mean, you you basically found that your survey came back and showed that 93% of those surveyed wanted to see a change in leadership at the RNC, um, and which, of course, didn't happen. And I know you have some thoughts on that. But was this, in your opinion, that knowing that we kept Ronald McDaniel as the RNC chair, and I've only got about three minutes left here, but when we keep an RNC chair as it was, even though 93% of the surveyed members of yours and even Alabama sent a vote of no confidence in her, has this been healthy? Is it, is it something that's going to help shape us in the future in the right direction as a Republican Party? Or has it been an unhealthy infighting kind of thing? Well, you know, that's a good question. And I don't think we fully know the answer yet. Uh, you know, the fighting in the House of Representatives, apparently, as it appears now, was a good thing. Yeah. Because it, uh, we are on the right track in the House. The jury is still out about how uh, the people that won are going to receive it. Uh, and it's not the ones that lost rebelling. It's the ones that won. Uh, and I don't know how that's going to come out yet. Uh, we'll see because they're still... Uh, it's still boiling, um, and uh, we don't have the exact exact answer, Phil. One of the things that I said and what, what I sent out, I want to try to get this all behind us as quickly as we can because I had promised a report to the committee, and that's what I did. Uh, what you saw was the, it was not released uh, as such uh, to... Uh, a press release or anything. It was designed to go to the committee, but still it's going to be out in the public, so I'll feel free to talk about it. Um, but um, what we want to do is corrupt the issues we have at the RNC, not destroy the RNC. We don't want to injure the RNC because the RNC is the backbone of the party. Uh, you can have all of the muscle in the party you want. You can have all of the mind uh, power in the party you want. But if you've got a poor skeletal uh, position, you don't have much of a, a fighter. And so, therefore, we have to have a strong RNC. So I want to try to get this behind us as much as possible. But I, I can, so I can, I can, I can certainly see that, and I, and I, and I agree with your sentiments in that regard. I mean, if you if you don't get the team back together before the next big game, then then we got problems. You, you did say, in uh, part of your mail out, that you you do believe that we've been ignoring the grassroots. Uh, are, do you do you feel like we're oh, going to see more of a grassroots in the RNC's efforts going forward? Truly hope so. That is what we're pushing for more and more is accountability of the RNC to the grassroots uh, believer, voter in Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, all of us working together uh, and maybe letting grassroots have a little bit more say, pushing their ideas up the line. And I know I'm willing to work on that, and that's what I'm proposing to do. Well, that's that's I think that's the only I think 
I think there's got to be an effort made in that regard. I think it also shows that that the the, the populist uh, form of uh, politics has gained a lot of traction in recent years, and and people are tired of status quo. They want to they want to know that the kitchen table conversations actually percolate their way all the way to the top, and. Um, and so, uh, Mr. Reynolds, I really appreciate your time today. That's it's fascinating to me to get this email from you, and I really appreciate you uh, answering to a quick invitation to come on the show today. Sure, be glad to anytime. All if right. I can help you, let me know. Well, we will definitely do it again. Uh, it's Paul Reynolds. Thank you so much, sir. Paul Reynolds, who is the uh, national committeeman from Alabama uh, to the RNC, talking about his recent email to the entire party. I've got a copy of it here in my hands, uh, in which he says that they did a survey. Prior to the uh, change in leadership, and 93% of those surveyed um, uh, believe they needed a change in leadership, which didn't happen when they got up to the RNC for the vote, which, you know, you know, they various reasons. But he points out in here, he said, the thing we've got to do is we've got to represent the folks back home. He said, in other words, we are totally ignoring the sentiments of the grassroots. There seems to be some complete disconnect developing, and we've underperformed nationally. And as a party, he's saying, we've got to move it forward. Um, all right, listen, I'm going to come right back from this break. What does this mean for the Republican Party? And, oh, by the way, let's switch gears and talk about the Democrat Party because they got their own issues. Do they got issues? Oh, Lord, they got issues. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, talking about some infighting. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, hey, listen, uh, that was a call a moment ago with uh, Paul Reynolds, who is the uh, Alabama Republican Party's national committeeman. He, he goes, he represents us at the, D, at the RNC. Uh, and he has been, by the way, if you don't know Paul Reynolds, he and his wife, Joan, man, you talk about trench, in the trenches, warriors. Uh, they have, Joan Reynolds uh, has been, for years, been leading what they call the Mighty Alabama Task Force where they will actually uh, pick up and go to other states to help go door-to-door for major candidates. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just very interesting how much they've done over the years. Well, so he was making his points there about the fact that here he is. He's Alabama's national committeeman. He even surveyed members of the state party to find out how they felt before he went up to cast his vote um, for the RNC and, uh, and the leadership. And, and lo and behold, <laughs> he, got, he got an earful. Uh, and it, the, the Alabama was one of the states that, that openly said, we do not, as a party, support Ronald McDaniel getting another term because she presided over mediocrity. Um, well, you know, there's, there's, there's few places in life where you can fail up. But apparently being head of the RNC after very tepid results over the last two election cycles, it's okay. You can fail up. Um, that being said, uh, it's not just Republicans. Now, it. I will pick on both parties. It is not just Republicans. Democrats are, are infighting like you would not believe. And, and at least I will say this. At the very least, the Republican infighting that we've seen has been what I would call orderly and uh, transparent. 
background arguments, I'm sure, things happening in the back rooms. I'm sure there were some smoky back room conversations, but the truth be told, we had folks go up there, they cast a vote. Some didn't like the results, some did, but the end result of it is we have leadership, we're going to move forward. Democrats? Not so much. So uh, if you remember this story that came out in November of last year, the Alabama Democrat Party is in complete disarray, still trying to find their feet. Over the last few years, they have just become almost a non-entity. It got so bad when uh, Nancy Worley and, uh, and, and, and Joe Reed were in charge that, that they literally ran out of money and couldn't pay the light bill at the, Repu- the Democrat Party headquarters. It was that bad. And I'm not kidding. It was actually that bad. Nancy Worley's now passed away. Um, there was a change in leadership. The actual National Democrat Party stepped in and, and took action because we were, we were you know, they, they were seeing, um, basically, it was, it was inbred, and it was not working well. And the National Democrat Party was prepared to pull their charter. And then, you know, State Representative Chris England got involved. And I really thought, all right, I know Chris England. I think he's a good dude. I mean, he and I are absolutely polar opposites when it comes to policy but he's a good dude. I thought he was going to lead the way and revamp the Democrat Party. Do I want the Democrats to be strong? No, not really. No. But I will say this. You play up to your competition. And right now, Republicans in this state are fat and happy. They don't have to do anything. All they got to do is have an R by their name and they win. Well, on the one hand, that's wonderful. You know, as a longstanding member of the Republican Party myself, a former elected Republican state senator myself, a former party chairman myself, I get it. That's the team that I've aligned with over the years. However, you play up to your competition, and when your competition can't even find its own shoes to put on, then what are you playing up to? And it makes people fat and happy. And so... But look at this. November of last year, Alabama Democrats, it says on Fox News, Fox News national story about Alabama Democrats appeared to be infighting as another leadership dispute went public on Monday hours before. This was not the kind of infighting like vote for me, don't vote for her. No, 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 no. This was the kind where it was like, well, he said, she said nasty emails and don't you listen to her. So when it gets so bad that the vice chair of the party sends out an email saying, I'm preparing to do these things for y'all. And the chairman sends out another email that says, Literally, here's what it said. Therefore, I'm advising each of you to ignore, disregard, and reject any communications from her. What? What? Yes. It is so bad that that literally right now, Alabama Democrats are historically weak. They hold just eight out of 35 seats in the state Senate, 28 out of 105 in the House, no statewide offices. And they're so their infighting is so severe that the chairman tells the rest of the world not to even listen to what the vice chairman has to say. That ain't good. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. More of this when we get back. Y'all stay tuned.
Hey, all you right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Bill Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Um, Boomer, what was that call you got a while ago? We had an update on some major traffic issues. What was going on? Yeah, um, we had a caller call in, and he said there's some major traffic issues. Uh, 72 east and westbound on Mooresville Road in Athens. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's about two to three miles backed up. Possibly oh. on each side. On so 72? In, on 72. Oh, no. So thank you, Mark, from Athens for letting us know 72 about that. 72 is bad on a good day. It's like, it's like, it's like Highway 280 in Birmingham. Oh. It's just, it's just not wow. good. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. If you, if you, if you're if 72 so you is that. your usual route, then you might want to find another route for a Friday afternoon. Just, just saying. Um, thanks for calling that in. Who was that called that in? Mark from uh, Athens? Mark from Athens. Yeah. Mark. From, thanks, Mark. Appreciate you. Yes. Uh, speaking of calling and texting and stuff, so the question is out there right now, 833-687-4448. That's our text line. That's 833-68-RIGHT. Here's the question. We got 41,000 hours of closed-circuit television footage from January 6th that Tucker Carlson's been given access to. My question to you, what do you think we're going to find out in that 41,000 hours? And I want the wrong answers only. <laughs> just just. Wrong answers only. Tell me, tell me what you think we're going to see in the middle of that forty-one thousand hours of footage. I mean, who knows? Are we gonna Are we gonna finally learn the secret identity of Superman? Who knows? I mean, are we gonna Are we gonna finally see the the recipe for you know the secret sauce? I don't know what what's in there. Uh, will we find out that uh, Nancy Pelosi is uh, you know dating one of the fellow members of the House? I don't know. What are we going to find in the 41,000 hours of footage uh, that, that Tucker Carlson is now combing through in, in, in fine fashion? All right, so back to the topic at hand. And I'll jump on those, those text messages here in a moment. Uh, back to the, the topic at hand, infighting. So I mentioned a minute ago, so we, we, we talked with uh, Paul Reynolds, who's the Alabama Republican National Committee chairman, or committeeman, I'm sorry, uh, who goes to the RNC meetings for us. He votes on our behalf. He's, our, he's basically our delegate. Um, he gave us some insight on what it was like going up there and his concerns that the national party is not uh, focusing on the grassroots, that, uh, that we're leaving the populist issues behind too often. Uh, he voted against Ronna McDaniel uh, re- resuming uh, her, her chairmanship, but she got it anyway. Uh, and then I talked about the Democrats in Alabama, but what about the Democrats in New York? Have you seen this story? Story that broke today. New York Democrats in chaos with the progressive left calling the state party nearly as undemocratic as North Korea. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You couldn't hear Boomer, but he was cracking up. Progressive New York Democrats, according to Fox News, have had enough of party leadership and are demanding the removal of their party chief and reforms to the entire apparatus after a disastrous 2022 midterm cycle for the state. It says four U.S. House seats in New York. I didn't realize four of them did, but yeah, apparently four U.S. House seats in New York flipped from Democrat to Republican in the 2022 midterms. 
So, so truthfully, I guess, if you look at it, while we had tepid results in a lot of places and expected to see a red wave, which didn't materialize, uh, Florida and New York were actually high points in terms of Congress. Some would say that it was because of the flips in New York, not some would say, I would say flat out that New York is the reason why the majority is now Republican in the House. So quote from George Albro, he's the co-chair of the Brooklyn Progressive Action Network. Oh, Lord, here we go. He says, first of all, they have to run the party democratically. The Democratic Party has to become democratic. Right now, it vies with North Korea in their degree of democracy. <laughs> so they want to be more progressive, apparently, is a thing. Well, what's, what's interesting to me is their party chairman in New York does not like progressives. Just saying. Says more than a thousand state Democrats, including dozens of elected officials, signed a letter to remove Jacobs, who's the chair of the party. But Jacobs, who did not respond to Fox News Digital's request for comment, has been open about the fact that he disagrees with the far left wing of the Democrat Party and he placed the blame for the midterm on them. So you talk about an open infight. Holy smokes. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Now I gotta, I gotta ask. Um, have you been paying attention to the stories on eighteen nineteen news about the mayor of Montgomery? So, is this infighting? This is infighting in a different category. I had infighting of the Republican Party at the national level. Truthfully, I had infighting. If you get down to it, in the state party, Paul Reynolds gave us some insight on on that. But what what it wound up being when they got up to the national party? I got stuff on the Alabama Democrat Party. I got stuff on the New York Democrat Party. And I got stuff right here about what happens when your local delegation cannot get along. So just to back you up on this, a lot of folks, and I'll be honest, I wasn't. So when I ran for the Alabama State Senate, I, I felt like I was a well-read constituent. I felt like I understood the issues. Oh, man, I'll tell you right now, it was an eye-opener. I got down to Montgomery. I mean, I just I realized how little I had known, even though I thought I stayed up to speed on it. Anyway, here's what you got. At every single turn, you have a local delegation. It can be a local delegation for your county, for your city, whatever the case may be. You have state house and state senate representatives or, or, or members who represent a local delegation. And there's all kinds of them. I mean, when I was in the state senate, there was a local delegation who all shared a piece of, say, Gadsden. Or the local delegation who shared a piece of all of St. Clair County. Or the local delegation for... DeCab, you know, I had I had I had four counties in my district, so I was on multiple quote unquote delegations. Those local delegations then have to work with their local officials, because there's stuff the way Alabama's constitution is set up. There are things that local city councils and mayors can't do unless the local state delegation passes a bill for them called a local bill in Montgomery. It's 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 cumbersome. Uh, there are certain aspects of it that I get and certain of them that are just, you know, to me, complete violations of the idea of home rule. Nonetheless, what happens is you get a clashing sometimes of ideas and what's wanted. Like, for instance, right now in the Etowah County area, my old seat, we had State Senator Andrew Jones on the uh, air the other day talking about his desire to get rid of occupational taxes. Well, the fight is on right now because the former minority leader of the state house, Democrat, Craig Ford, is now the mayor of Gadsden. 
He's absolutely opposed to the idea of losing tax revenue. So he's just basically making life miserable for Andrew Jones. Well, ain't nothing, though, compared to what's happening down in Montgomery. Talk about infighting among a delegation and its local leadership. So you may remember, oh my gosh, you may remember just mm, earlier this week, 1819 News got access to some audio and video of liberal mayor Stephen Reed of Montgomery, who was literally just on a cussing rant, talking about how he didn't need the black vote and how he didn't care a thing about Governor Kay Ivey and he didn't care a thing about Maxwell Air Force Base. It was all the things that a local mayor should never say, much less be caught on tape saying. Well, it gets worse. So the latest story came out today. Newly released audio of Montgomery Mayor Stephen Reed shows him claiming to have threatened two of his local legislative delegation to get the bills that he wanted passed. God, this guy's a piece of work. Says the audio shows Reed claiming to have threatened State Senator Will Barfoot. I know Will Barfoot. I guarantee you Will Barfoot doesn't count as threats. And State Representative Reed Ingram, I would imagine the same about him, seemingly attempting to garner favorable terms in a piece of legislation. Here's the quote. Not a blankety-blank business person in this world could get Reed Ingram off that blankety-blank bill. He could have killed it himself. We threatened him, Reed said. I'm just going to tell you straight up, he was threatened. Will Barfoot was blankety-blank threatened. That's how that blankety-blank got done. This is, this is the mayor of the capital city of the state of Alabama. Cussing like a ninth grader trying to show off on the playground claiming he threatens other elected officials, claiming that he got his way because they effectively threatened those state elected officials. This is on the heels of him saying similar stuff. Well, the end result of that is, here's how that plays out. Ingram was asked how things went. He and Barfoot both say, we don't know what he's talking about, but we don't cow to threats. The last quote we got here from Ingram so I can tell you, I will not let a city of Montgomery bill pass without a 100% resolution for that city council. That's a promise as God is my witness, he said. I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm not going to take his word that everybody in the city council is okay with it. It's going to have to be a written resolution or I'll kill every bill that comes from that city. This is what happens when you have infighting in your delegation. That mayor is going to wind up needing something someday. And he's going to have a delegation who listened to audio about what he says about them behind closed doors. I'm just going to tell you, that kind of infighting, that ruins a community. That's a mayor who's going to need something from Montgomery, uh, from the state house, and he's not going to be able to get it because he's an idiot. That's why. 1819 News is just kicking it on that story. All right, Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. And I'm looking at the text lines blowing up. I've got to find out. What do y'all think? We'll come right back. 833-687-4448. What do you think we're going to find on the 41,000 hours of footage that Tucker Carlson has been given to look at about January 6th? I want the wrong answers only. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. Text lines are blowing up. So, um, yeah, the question has been, <laughs> and Boomer and I were just comparing some thoughts on it during the break. The, the question is uh, 833-687-4448. That's the text line. The question is, what do you think we're going to see on the 41,000 hours of uh, footage from the January 6th events at the Capitol. Wrong answers only. Uh, Mike uh, from from Huntsville uh, texted in. He says, you're going to find Joe Biden sniffing the ice cream workers' hairnets. I don't know why. <laughs> ice cream workers' hairnets. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I I put on here. Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna find footage of uh, Nancy necking in the back row with Hakeem Jeffries. I don't know. You know, just um, drag queen story hours happening in Schumer's offices. We we don't we, we don't know what what else could be there. Uh, Glenn from Bluntsville this texted in said they found the tapes that Auburn actually has a third national championship. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much, thank you. He will be in the area all day. Um, what else? Uh, uh, Paul from Athens says, we're going to find out that Rachel Levine is really Mitch McConnell in drag. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Jeff from Indiana says, I believe we need the January 6th committee to investigate the January 6th committee and see what kind of shenanigans they were pulling. I, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Um, Ken from Decatur says, we're going we're gonna to find Donald Trump and Mo Brooks just kicking some tail and taking names. I, I, I cleaned it up a little bit because it's a family <laughs> show. Kicking some tail and taking names. Uh, JT from Lacey Springs says, he's concerned, though, that the two years it took to get the tapes that some of it could have been altered. Well, I mean, brother, we'll just deal with it as we can. Uh, George from Huntsville, he says, we're going to find out the protesters were all guilty. Okay. All right. We'll see. Uh, Rita from Scottsboro, she said... Um, uh, where'd it go? I just lost it. So on the security tapes, we're going to really find out what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> there it is. Jeremy from Huntsville. He's got, he says about 141, he says 41,000 hours. We're going to find one, the burial site of Jimmy Hoffa. Two, the identity of the second gunner on the grassy knoll. Three, who is first, the chicken or the egg? Four, the sound of a tree falling even when no one is there. Five, the doorway to the fifth dimension. <laughs> and six, the location of the Ark of the Covenant. And seven, what is in the basement of the Dome of the Rock? Eight, what is in the basement of the Taj Mahal? Nine, how many licks it actually takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? Wow. I don't know how to compete with that. I, me neither. That was amazing. Jeremy from Huntsville has the most, okay, so Jeremy <laughs> from Huntsville has the most epic responses as to what's going to be on the 41,000 hours. Uh, this is good Friday afternoon stuff right here. Uh, the parts guy from Albertville, he just texted in. He says, we're going to find thousands of hours of footage. Hmm. Maybe of Jill Biden smooching. Yeah. That's, we were, <laughs> yeah. The first lady and the first man coming out of the, uh, the, the janitor's, the janitor's closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brian from Huntsville says, Nancy Pelosi making out with the guy with horns. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Don from Hazel Green. Um, Don Green just takes issue with the fact that he says Romney and McConnell are running the party. Okay, thank Don. We appreciate you. Thanks for being a new member of the text line. Uh, John from Huntsville texts it in. Says, okay, what's the long one? I see what he says. Says, the truth is the footage is going to show a lot of old congressmen taking naps and playing checkers <laughs> in solitaire and having heated arguments over a game of bridge. When they're not taking naps or playing games, you'll see them on the phone with Joe Biden, and you can hear him saying no to Joe. Solitaire is a two-player game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, we got, we got plenty more where that came from. Uh, we're going to switch gears here in a minute. Uh, at the top of the hour, Stephanie Smith from the uh, Alabama Policy Institute will be calling in and we'll be talking with her about, you know, some things in education. Uh, folks, I'm just gonna tell you, I, I, 
it, the, the level of wokeness that we're discovering in classrooms. And what's, what's really crazy is they expose themselves. I mean, how many times are we finding a teacher who does a TikTok video and is excited about leading kids down a path to, you know, hypersexuality or training them how to be transgenders or keeping secrets from the parents or, you know, critical race theory and making them bow down. And I mean, it's every single day, it seems like a new something comes out that we go, wait, what? It, now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm old. I get it. I may have once or twice yelled, get off my grass. I get it. But I look back and, and I cannot remember that kind of stuff happening when I was growing up at all. And I'm a product of public schools. You know, I just, I know for a fact that some of my teachers probably had opinions that differed than what my family did. I never felt inflicted upon like this. I don't recall ever having an agenda-driven teacher. Now, when I got to college, I remember having some professors who it was so obvious they were liberal, you know, um, but, but even then, I didn't feel like I was being treated like a second-class citizen because I didn't align with their agenda. In fact, their agenda wasn't even part of the class. So when did it become a thing that it's okay? Have we just lost some of the, uh, the, the societal mores? Have we just literally seen a breaking down of the barriers such that some teachers just do not feel at all opposed to the idea of bringing their stuff to kids and basically trying to take kids and turn them into mini-activists? When did that, it's not okay. Here's the bottom line. I asked the question, I was about to ask the question, when's that, when did that become okay? It's not okay. It's not okay at all. So coming back after the top of the hour, we'll talk to Stephanie Smith about what she's hoping for in terms of an education agenda. We'll also talk, though, about what may happen in the Alabama legislature with education. I hope something. But then we're also going to talk about some things that have been happening around the nation that we just, we can't sit idly by and let this happen at all. And, and right now we got some people like Ron DeSantis, who is, I've got one article that says that he literally had a meeting recently with a speaker of his state house to talk about an education reform package and lay out his agenda for what he's hoping for in education. Knowing that he's a single branch of government, he's coordinating to try and do more. When's the last time you heard about Governor Ivey meeting with the speaker of the house to talk about making education better in Alabama? Have you? I haven't at all. And if she is, then maybe we ought to talk about it because we rank, you know, last in the nation. So at what point is the governor of the state going to become so proactive and forthright that she's willing to lay out an agenda and say, here's how we're going to make, because by the way, she's the governor of the state. She is also by virtue of that position. She is the de facto head of the state school board. She has a say. She can even call a special session of the legislature to try and get them to help work on things that are necessary for whatever she deems pertinent. She's one branch of government, but she is allowed to have an agenda. And right now, we are not seeing that. I'm watching in other states as they are taking the reins. Governor Youngkin, you know, we got, we got the governor out in, uh, in Idaho and Iowa and Arizona and South Dakota and Virginia and Florida, Mississippi, all doing major things for education. 
I'm ready to have Governor Ivey say, here's what we're going to do to make it better, and here's how I'm coordinating with the legislature. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right you're listening live to right side radio with phil williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national. We cover down on all the issues, and like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, by the way, the text lines have blown up. So the whole idea of what we're going to find on that 41,000 hours of uh, footage from January 6th, um, Paul from Athens says, we may find out that Maxine Waters is really Nancy Pelosi in blackface. <laughs> uh, Jeff from Indiana says, we're going to find out that Congress is like professional wrestlers. They put on a good show, then they go home on the same bus together. <laughs> Kenny from Elkmont says we're going to find irrefutable video that Elvis is still alive. There's, there you go. Uh, hey, listen, uh, somebody else who might have a say in all that, uh, our friend Stephanie Smith. She's the president of the Alabama Policy Institute. Long history of working in public policy uh, in both governmental and, uh, and corporate entities. Um, she is, uh, like I said, now the new president of API, and I'm proud to have her on the show again today. Stephanie Smith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Phil? I am. I am good. I'm good. It's Friday afternoon at four o'clock. I am good. Um, so let me ask you, <laughs> well, Stephanie. I've been listening, and I'm yeah. and I'm not sure that I can top that one who had like the top seven list. That were all good, <laughs> including the lollipop one. Absolutely. That, um, I I used to love that commercial as a kid, and I have to admit, I still think about that every time. I have a lollipop. So, yes. Talk about effective marketing. That was, that was it. It was extremely effective marketing. So, well, let me ask you, though, now that I got you on the hot seat here, 41,000 hours of video footage, what do you think, wrong answers only, that we're going to find in that footage? Well, I was, what leapt to my mind immediately, and maybe I'm just hungry because I'm talking about lollipops, but was uh, another $24,000 freezer full of Jenny's ice cream um, oh. that Nancy Pelosi had. Um, <laughs> she probably had an extra, if she loves that ice cream so much, she probably, you know, could afford to have an extra $24,000 freezer full of $13,000 of ice cream in her office as well. Unbelievable. I wonder, I wonder if she cleaned it all out before Kevin McCarthy took up, because, you know, he was moving in before they even finished the vote. So um, oh, yeah. by then it was probably melting out of the floor. <laughs> no. Yeah, so, some of the Freedom Caucus members were like, whoa, whoa, that's not your office yet, bro. Yeah. That, was, that was entertaining. It was entertaining. Well, hey, listen, I'm going to um, be doing a section here as soon as you and I get off the phone talking about woke in the classroom. 
uh, and the uh, the fact that we do have, you know, some states are being very proactive and saying, here's what we want to do about education. Some governors are very, I don't think Governor Ivey has said boo about education this year that I can recall. In fact, I'm not sure she said boo about much of anything. But um, what, do, what are your... What are your thoughts, head of API? I mean, as we come into the upcoming legislative session, do you guys have any agenda items right now for education, or what do you what do you anticipate? We do. We're we're big proponents of school choice, and I will say that Governor Ivy, in her inauguration speech, did mention education. I will say she she said she really was focused on charter schools. Um, it sounded like, but it also sounded like she had made a goal of make of being Alabamian Alabama students being in the top thirty. Um, by the time she leaves office, and that is a very high goal, especially coming in last or yeah. post to last. I think we, we did bump up a few spots uh, post-pandemic, but not because our scores got better. It's just that everybody else's scores got worse Oh wow! Um, in comparison to us. But, um, you know, it, she, so she did mention it somewhat, but there weren't a lot of details to it. And I have not been told, um, you know, that there are any details forthcoming. Uh, maybe she's got some sort of, you know, state of the state surprise going for us. But there are a lot of folks calling and asking us and and wanting um, API to get out front as we should and have done on school choice issues. Yeah. And so, um, you know, ask ten people what school choice is, and you'll get eight to ten answers. Um, but what we're for is universal school choice and um, having it be a financial transaction. Basically, um, with the understanding that state taxpayer money is state taxpayer money and that parents should be in the driver's seat deciding where their kids go to school, not the government. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, I've said multiple times on the show here that um, what you're basically doing is injecting the free market into public education by saying, hey, a kid can move somewhere else. It's just like in business. If you build the better mousetrap. Uh, it causes your competition to have to raise their levels of competition, if you will. But then, right. you know, right. it, it also gives more options to the consumer. Well, that's the same we're looking for in education. We want there to be options. Right, absolutely. And we want there to be something yeah, and that's driving competition. Absolutely. And there we have the – it's a double-edged sword, but we have the benefit of not being first to consider this. There are a bunch of states, including a few of our surrounding states, who have done this well for years. Uh, Arkansas has just, uh, Sarah Sanders has put, you know, her foot down on the accelerator, and that bill is flying through their legislature. Wow. She has an entire package of bills um, that I'd be surprised she doesn't sign next week after um, just proposing it last week. And so she kind of did the, the multi-pronged approach of, of um, some different initiatives, um, additional funding for teachers' salaries because they were on the low end. Alabama's really already on the high end, um, but they were one of the lowest, and they, they're bumping all of their beginning teachers uh, to $50,000 a piece. And um, that's the carrot, and the, and the stick is universal school choice. And so um, it's a carrot and the stick our way instead of the other way, which is how we normally receive that. Um, but she's, do, she's doing a bang-up job on that. Iowa Governor uh, Kim Reynolds, yeah. Is also, you know, Arizona passed a universal school choice bill last year. Uh, Florida has been on the forefront of this, you know, for a decade or more. And there are a bunch of states, and especially red states, and especially red state governors that are taking the lead on this. And you're exactly right. It's, it's, a, it's free market education. And it's parental choice. 
it's per, it's parents having the freedom to decide what's right for each of their children every single year instead of being told what to do by the state or local government. What a novel concept, the very idea that parents should have a say. Um, but but and and, I, and it, you know what's interesting is if there's anything that came out of COVID that can be called positive, it's the fact that COVID caused so many parents to have to dial in a little bit and realize right. what was happening or not happening in their kids' uh, education. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I look at it, and, and, you know, the philosophical question, if you, if you ask a liberal, ask, ask, ask a teacher's union member, the philosophical question of do you believe those tax dollars are there to feed the system or are they there to educate the child? It, it, you get an interesting get an interesting look on their face. They, they don't want to deal with that because that's what it boils down to. Are those tax dollars there to educate the child or just to feed a system that's filled up with teachers' union, you know, wish lists? And, uh, that's, wow. That's exactly right. And, and Eric Mackey asked for almost an, an increase of a billion dollars yesterday oh in my the gosh. Education Budget oh my Committee gosh. meeting. So, um, and uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, a little bump for teachers, um, $100 a piece extra for teachers for their classroom supplies, and then a boatload of administrative money. And so, you know, this is something, you know, th- these budgets just keep getting bigger, and our results don't keep getting better. And no. so the question is, at what point do we say, hey, uh, we've had this complete influx of billions of dollars of federal money dumped into these, dumped into public schools. Now we're dumping the surplus back into the exact same schools and expecting different results without doing anything differently. And that's nonsensical. And then you have the, the situation that you're probably about to touch on, uh, which is, you know, a lot of um, public institutions now are basically indoctrination centers. And then there are also just one-on-one um, certain kids being bullied or certain kids being pressured um, in, in certain ways that their parents are uncomfortable with, even if it's not something in the curriculum, even if it's not something in the classroom, that those specific kids need a, an, an opt-out. It's not just yeah. kids in the failing school system that want to opt out of the public school system at this point, there are a lot of parents who are wondering if this is the right place to drop their kids off every morning, and they need options. Yeah, absolutely need options. In fact, they deserve options. I would say we're looking at one of the essential services of government, and and it's a failure. There's, there's very few places in the world that you're allowed to fail repeatedly and get upfunded to do more, and that's one of them is in public education. Um, right. Absolutely right. And, and I, but I will point out that in other states, this hasn't gutted public education. No. In any state that it's been tried, it's still around 10 or 15 percent of students opt for something else, whether or not it's homeschooling, private schooling, online schooling, some sort of um, vocational training instead of it finishing high school. There are all sorts of different options now, especially with technology. Um, that people can choose if they're given the opportunity to choose it. But even with all of those choices, it's still a small number of students that end up opting out. Um, and it doesn't gut the public school system. The public school system will still remain. Uh, and and that's, a, that's a great point. And that's one of the fear-mongering tactics that the teachers' union will use every single time is you're going to destroy public right. education. No. You're going to wind up creating a challenge that will make the schools that were failing or just dragging themselves through the process have to kind of up their game 
and uh, and then you know do more for the kids with the tax. And and by the way, I remember when I was at API, we we did a study a while back, and I don't know what the numbers would be now, but my recollection was it used to be that we had somewhere in the neighborhood of eight or nine states that spent less than us but still scored higher than us. So dollar signs were not right. truly the answer. Right. And, and there's a disproportionate amount of money in our state system being spent on administration, whether or not that means the state board and the state department of education or all of the district administration. Now, a certain administration has to occur and enable, you know, to the buses to flow and the, the lights to be turned on and the facilities to function. So I'm not saying there should be zero administration of schools, but we're, we've gotten to a point where the administration numbers have ballooned astronomically, um, especially over the last 10 years. As there has been more money available, yeah. there has been more money spent on administration, not on kids. Totally agree. Stephanie Smith, uh, president of the Alabama Policy Institute. If folks want to find out more about API, where can they go to find it? You can um, you can go to alabamapolicy.org. That's our website, and you can find my contact info there, and feel free to reach out to me personally. All right. Hey, Steph, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time. Thanks. You too. All right. All right, Boomer, take us to the break, brother. We'll do that. That was a great segue into a stack of documents I've got here that are just all about the wokeness in the classroom. You guys stay tuned. We got plenty more. We will be right back. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid and conservative and just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative every single day of the week. Hey, um, I got to tell you, Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road out in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. I, every Friday I say this, man, what a great opportunity for Saturday morning. Don't have to mess up the kitchen. Don't get the usual old biscuit, the old tired fast food, drive-through. No, Just Love Coffee Cafe has amazing award-winning dry roast coffees, light, medium, and dark roast. They got the cappuccinos, the lattes, the espressos, like Charlene calls them the treat coffees. You got uh, uh, any number of major menu items that are unique and different, right down to the waffles that they cook. Um, But I will say this, one of the things that I love about Just Love Coffee Cafe is they're not just about food and making a buck, all right? I mean, that's all important. But they're also about 
giving things back to the community and doing things to sort of support the community in which they reside. And so tomorrow morning, Travis from uh, Just Love Coffee, want to make sure you guys knew, tomorrow morning, Horizon Elementary School's PTA will be out at their Madison location of Just Love Coffee from 8 to noon trying to raise money to put a new AV system in the cafeteria. So I'm just saying, if you're thinking about Just Love Coffee on a Saturday morning anyway, the Madison location's got it going on, trying to help a local elementary school's PTA raise some money for, for things they don't already have. And, and that's, that's, that's an important gig. That's, that's part of supporting your community, and I really appreciate the fact that Just Love Coffee does that. So, yeah, Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville, and tomorrow morning from 8 to noon, the Madison location is going to be raising, helping raise money uh, for the uh, Horizon Elementary School PTA programs, uh, effort to put new AV gear in the, um, in the cafeteria. All right. I'm going to be jumping into education in a minute, but I, I got to take an aside here. So the text lines have blown up. We asked the question earlier, um, you know, what, what do you think we're going to find on the 41,000 hours of, uh, of footage? Um, we, we got any number of answers, so, so, some of which are just, just pretty funny. And then we got some other chiming in about education. Uh, Randall from Newmarket says, everybody on the video, video footage is going to be looking for the other white glove of Michael Jackson's. <laughs> that was random. I never, I didn't expect to hear that one. Uh, Steve from Tennessee. We hadn't heard from Steve from Tennessee in a while. He just texted in. He says, public education needs competition. Gas is never cheap in a town with one station. Perfect point. Perfect point. Uh, Bobby from Pell City said it's uh, been ever since I've been listening at 7 a.m. this morning. Uh, he's asking what about something with, oh, the radio. He says, Boomer, we need to check on that uh, live stream. Something's going on. We'll, we'll check on that. Bobby, thank you from Pell City. We appreciate you listening. Gary from Decatur, um, the State Education Board already has a surplus. Yes, they've been upfunded every year for the last 10 years. Um, I don't know if you can call it a surplus when they spend it. Um, I got other texts coming in. Uh, Glenn from Bluntful says, my cousin left teaching in Alabama. She said she had a pay raise that did not offset the bureaucracy or the teachers union rules for her to continue to teach. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. We need, there's good people in education and we need them to stay. Uh, Badger from Athens says, my biggest moment of awakening in education was running into a teacher in public and realizing they were really people too. And that is true. I do agree with that. Uh, I've got several in my family, and yes, I do agree. They're normal. They're, they're real people. Now, there's some unreal members of the education community, too, which shouldn't be in a classroom whatsoever. Uh, and, and I tell you what, it's leadership. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, change can happen, but you got to want it, and you got to have the backbone to make it happen. Change can happen. I got a story here from Fox News. came out uh, two days ago, three days ago. Says headline, DeSantis unveils his 2024 school board target list to block woke ideology from Florida classrooms. If you're not familiar, during the last election cycle, there were several members of local school boards around the state that the governor of the state said, you know what, I'm going to support your opposition. And he did. And it made a difference. So DeSantis, it says, met with Florida House Speaker Paul Renner, uh, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, Tina Diskovich and other key leaders in Florida's school board reform movement. Did you hear that? They have a school board reform movement in a Tuesday morning meeting. And during that session, DeSantis unveiled a list of 14 school board members around the state who he did not believe were protecting parental rights and that he intended to see them 
unelected in the next go-round. That's amazing. Says Descovich, uh, one of the co-founders of uh, Moms for Liberty, said DeSantis's leadership in education and his focus on school board races has been a game changer for Florida. He said he's building a model right now for how governors should champion parental rights in every state in the country. We are so thankful for his willingness to take on this fight. Boomer, we were talking yesterday on the Boomer McQueen segment. I think it was I think it was I think it was McQueen that asked me, "What do you what do you want to see in a leader?" And I said, "Backbone." Yep. I want to see somebody that's willing to stand up and say, "That ain't right," and here's where we're going. Mm-hmm. We we do not have that happening a lot right now in our our, our governor's office here in Alabama. Uh, I'm ready to see her take a stand and call some things out and go for it. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. I got more of that. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down across the great state of Alabama. Northern half of the state is just like covered up on Right Side Radio. I'm talking about from way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of even Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi thrown in just for good measure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, the text lines. Leanne from Huntsville says the uh, 41,000 hours of footage is going to show Nancy getting Botox. <laughs> uh, Brad from Limestone County. Um, we're going to find the last surviving VHS copy of Disney's Song of the South in Diane Feinstein's office. <laughs> uh, Paul from Matheson says they're going to finally find D.B. Cooper. That's funny. That's just too funny. JT from Lacey Springs says tapes are going to show people lined up to be hugged and sniffed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got some funny people in this audience. Um, I'm going to jump back into education, but I, I got I to I I stop real quick, though, and just do a total aside. I'm, I'm totally going off script, Boomer. I'm off like, script. Off Uh-oh. script, dude. Boomer <laughs> and I just found something that we want to do. Oh, man, yes. <laughs> this is a total aside. I didn't. I did not know this existed, this and I'm thing. now very excited about it. <laughs> well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do a free advertisement for them. Okay, I just I just ran across it when I was looking for something <laughs> else on, off uh, during a break. Hellabacon.com. Hellabacon. That's H-E-L-I-B-A-C-O-N. Hellabacon.com. It's out in Texas. It's helicopter hog hunting 
and they load you up. You got everything from, you know, uh, magazine-fed rifles to belt-fed machine guns, and and they take you in, in, in basically retrofitted Huey helicopters flying with the doors open, and you're hunting on wild hogs from the air. How cool is that? They even have helicopter, they have a night vision hog hunting. They got group packages, and they have gift certificates you can get where they call it Give Gifts Wrapped in Bacon. Get- it says, it says, give the gift of heck yeah. And and it, it just, I mean, I'm I'm having that flashbacks is... to, to sitting in the door of a Huey with the doors open, hearing the wop, 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 wop while you're, oh man, I'm just saying. So hellabacon.com, boomer. I, I may have to give, I'm going to give them a call next week just, just to see what's up. <laughs> Phil needs one. <laughs> I think that's gonna be that's just cool. You you tell them that we will come out there and and they can they can advertise on this show. How about that? <laughs> I sw- that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just I'm looking at this thinking I am in. Hey, one day we're gonna be in Texas too, so they 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 can just jump on board early. Come on, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> come on, hellabacon.com. Boy, that was a that was a total aside. That was, but that was a oh cool aside. Gosh. Yeah, I, I guarantee you, there's about. There's about a, a, a thousand right side ruffians that are just pulling it up right now. Hellamaker.com. Yep. What is that? You mean you can fly in a Huey, shooting an <laughs> M4 out the out the door? Yes, you can. I'm, I'm looking at one guy. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a he's got a saw, a squad automatic weapon, just blasting away at a pack of wild hogs running across the plains in Texas, while he's flying at low level, nap Ooh. of the earth in a Huey. Wow. Good lord. <laughs> All the fun and testosterone any one man could stand. Hella bacon. Hella bacon.com. Did they sell that bacon? I don't know, dude, but I mean They should. It, yeah, but I mean, how good can it be after you after you ding it several times with a five five six? I'm just saying. Not too good. No, I'm pretty sure that'll break a tooth. Um <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Now that I have uh, now that I have just announced to the world what Phil wants for his birthday, um, let me jump back on topic. So, woke in the classroom. Here's a story that has sparked this for me. National Review has a piece that came out uh, yesterday. National Review headline: Social justice curricula is having a measurable impact on students. Well, you might imagine. I mean, first of all, uh, kids. When they're younger and they're still forming their opinions about life, uh, this is—I mean, why do you think the wokeists are going there? I mean, why do you, why do you think that they're trying to get into the schools? Because they know if they can catch them young, they can basically raise up the next generation of activists. So National Review has this piece that says there was a survey that was done by the Manhattan Institute uh, most recently. Story came out uh, yesterday. It says, based on a survey of more than 1,500 Americans ages 18 to 20, so they went straight for, you know, new graduates. You just basically just got out of school. The report seeks to inject hard data into a cultural debate that is often fought using purely anecdotal evidence. What they're basically saying is there's not usually any empirical evidence out there for us to be able to say, here's why that matters. Here's what's happening. Well, they did one. 1,500 respondents, they put questions to them. You're recently out of high school. Did you ever hear any of these fundamental concepts or ideologies talked about in your school? Things like, there are many genders, not just male and female. In America, white people have white privilege. 
America is built on stolen land. And so they did this concept, or these concepts uh, surveys. 90% of the respondents said they had had at least one critical race theory concept spoken to them at school. 74% of them said that they had had at least one radical gender concept talked about in school. A third of them, 32%, were taught that there are no counter arguments to those positions. In other words, it just is, don't question. Students were also taught these concepts tend to be the ones who adopt those concepts. So it stands to reason. You got kids, again, who are um, still developing their, their sense of things, their, their positions on life, their, their own personal principles and mores are being developed. Uh, and, and you've got someone who's in an adult position in their life telling them, here's how it is. 32% of them are being told there's not even a counter argument to it. And it says that they are the ones, those kids are the ones who tend to be more left-leaning when they get out of high school. Huh. You think? All I'm saying is there's a poll right now that begins to put actual data to what you and I know to probably be true. Um, so let me go down this road. What about when parents find out stuff's happening and they want something done about it? What do you do? You know, first of all, I would love to say we can sit back and wait on the governor's office to come up with a plan. If you live in Florida or Iowa or Arizona, maybe so. If you live in Alabama, you might be waiting a while. So what happens then is parents have got to, got to get active. And I got two stories here, both of which came from Fox News, actually, um, that, that talk about parents that decided, you know what, not on my watch. Because I, here's the thing, folks, I haven't said it as much lately, but Charlene used to always say when we started the show, she said, remind them there's more of us than there are them. And it's true. You are not in the minority when it comes to your sense of things and you wanting to maintain conservative values and get wokeness out of your classrooms. You're not in the minority of that. You're not. Nationally and certainly here in Alabama, there are more of us conservative viewpoints about kids and education. There are more of us than there are of them. Here's two, two great uh, articles here. Uh, came out in late January, this one on Fox. It says, Iowa parents are outraged at their school district after a board member claimed that the public education system is not supposed to teach kids what parents want. Really? And it got worse from there as she tried to crawfish her statements. Gerilyn <laughs> Jones is a lady who chaired a local Moms for Liberty chapter in Iowa, said she, she actually took her kids out of schools because there were transgender policies allowing students to choose which locker rooms they could use and bathrooms to use. And yet in the middle of all that, well, why would there not be that kind of thing when you've got school board members saying things like what happened in that district about, you know, literally parents don't matter. It's not about what the parents want. It's about what the system wants to, to teach them. And when the, when the school board member was called out on it, <laughs> it didn't get any better. She comes back with this comment. She says, after the backlash, she comes back with, quote, our community is the collective for which it exists, not for any one parent, any one student, or any one person, but rather for us all. The only agenda of public education is to educate everyone for the benefit of everyone. Could we have a little bit more Mao in there, please? Could we, could we get 
Can we get a little bit more of the, of the, of the Kremlin in there, please? Our community is the collective for which it exists. What a knucklehead. But, folks, this is what happens. School board meet, school boards, we've got an actual, I mean, we've got a school board member in Huntsville right now that ran saying she was one thing, and now she is totally another. I'm telling you, school board members matter. Here's another reason why they matter, because they can get sued. So you've got, you've got this situation right here, and I believe this is in Forsyth County, Georgia. Um, Cindy Martin, she's the chairwoman of a grassroots parental group. They call themselves the Mama Bears. So the Mama Bears got active because they discovered, this one lady did, that there were truly pornographic books in her children's library. And so she, she called it out, but she didn't know what to do. And so she just basically turned to her left and right and said, any other moms worried about this? Oh, yeah, they were. So next thing you know, this whole group of women, they call themselves the Mama Bears, they went to the Forsyth County School District, and they said, we're calling out these books. One of the ladies actually began to read out in the school board meeting what was in the books and was stopped and not allowed to do it and was told that her it was inappropriate. Well, then why is it in my children's classroom? They just took the school district to court, and they won $100,000 in legal fees for being shut off and not allowed to share their opinions and to call out the issues at a public school board meeting despite being allotted time to do so. I'm just telling you, folks, woke's in the classroom. It takes leadership at the state level. It takes leadership at the local level. But it absolutely takes leadership at the grassroots level. You can't sit idly by and just let stuff happen. Boomer, if I'm going to take that call, I better take it now before the break, man. Um, let's, let's, let's do it real quick. I got about a, about a minute and a half. Is that Lee? Lee from Huntsville. How you doing? Hi, I'm great. Hope you are too. I am good. I'm good. Okay, so um, I find it interesting that uh, people can't tie all this stuff together, but communism has been hiding in academia for since the 30s and 40s and 50s when it was sought out here oh, as yeah. being like the McCarthy hearings, you know, and it was, it was um, then, you know, everybody was fighting against communism. And communists were like the original people that even in comic books they fought against, right, and socialists like the Nazis. Right. So they went and hid in academia because they knew they had uh, friends there. And so it's been hiding and fomenting in academia for so long. It's become who they are, period. And so that's who they're putting out um, into the school systems. And they decided to push that down into K-12, through probably starting more like the 60s, 70s, 80s, to really make that direct push into K-12 through from higher academia. So this has been um, this has been happening for years upon years upon years, and it's just now where it's not that it's happening more now is that they're bold, they're bold and they're putting it out in front of everyone, basically saying we can teach your kids whatever we want because it's better for the quote collective. Yeah, and that's just a buzzword for communism. It it's all is. about the collective. There is no individual. Well, it, it absolutely is, and it's it's maddening. And the and but that's that's why we can't lay down on the job. We we it doesn't even matter if we have kids no. in the school system. We could still care about the school system, and 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 you people have to care. absolutely do. It, it it boils down to how much do you want the next generation to have what we had, and it, and it, it's going to take people getting active, whether we have kids in the system or now or not. 
what's going to take people being uh, uh, more scared for the future than they are of being called racist or whatever, anti-something yeah. or other. They have to be willing to stand up and say, no, no. Yeah. Lee, perfect point. I got to run to a break. I appreciate you as always. Have a great weekend. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the, mm-hmm, she said. <laughs> all right, Boomer, take it to the break, man. We got to do that real quick. Come right back. Put a lid on this week. Heading into the weekend. Hope you guys have got some great plans. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.